All right, everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. It's great to have you here. We'll be talking about the cloud today, specifically how Johnson & Johnson is working with Microsoft. Earlier this year in January, Johnson & Johnson announced that Microsoft would be its preferred cloud provider for digital surgery solutions and its digital surgery platform. So we spoke with Larry Jones. Larry's the group CIO and global VP of medical devices. And we also talked with Peter Shulam. Peter is the leader of the Office of Digital Innovation. He's also the global head of medical affairs, clinical affairs, and preclinical research for Johnson & Johnson MedTech. And we talked with them both about the uh, the influence or the impact the cloud will have on, on Johnson & Johnson, specifically on MedTech more broadly. Uh, but both conversations uh, went in different, very interesting directions. Uh, Larry really focused on how things have changed tech-wise, how the tech world differs from the uh, med tech world, whereas Peter and I talked a great deal about his path, which was interesting, into, into med tech. He's had a lot of different roles, and uh, also about the uh, evolution of robotic surgery. Uh, Peter has been uh, watching this field emerge for a long time. Uh, he admits that when it first, uh, first emerged, he was a, a naysayer. But now he's a believer and we'll learn why. He has some interesting comps with other industries, makes some great points. So I know you'll enjoy both of these conversations. Before we get into those, though, I'd like to share some housekeeping items. Number one, Device Talks Boston is happening May 10th and 11th. You can register for that at devicetalks.com. Number two, Device Talks Minnesota is happening June 6th and 7th. Once again, go to devicetalks.com. If you want to register and save money for either, use the code DTW25. That's Device Talks Weekly, DTW25. You will save 25% off the price of registration. We're still in early bird stages for Minnesota. Unfortunately, it has expired for Boston. So if you want to save a whole bunch of money, uh, register right away. And once again, use the DTW25 code. Number three, if you want to present on the MedTech Innovator Track at Device Talks Boston, you need to apply to MedTech Innovator before March 31st. If you want to hear more details about what that's about, listen to last week's podcast. We had Paul Grand, the CEO of MedTech Innovator on. But in short, if yours is a MedTech, if you're leading a MedTech that has raised at least a Series B please uh, consider applying. Go on to medtechinnovator.org. It's a robust application, so give yourself some time, but it'll be a, a great opportunity for you to tell your story. Great opportunity to meet with MedTech Innovators, advisors, and uh, really to get your uh, to get some momentum and to get the word out. So once again, go to medtechinnovator.org. Number four, I am going to be uh, taking a couple of days off next week at the end of the week. I considered uh, putting together a best of, but rather I'm going to send out our most recent episode of the Intuitive Talks podcast. It hasn't come out yet. So if you're subscribed to this channel, you will receive the Intuitive Talks podcast next Friday instead of the Device Talks Weekly podcast. You'll also, we're also putting out a new Medtronic Talks podcast that'll come out on Wednesday. And we're talking about Medtronic's cranial and spine business and its acquisition of Metacrea. So you definitely want to check that out. Once again, you need to subscribe to the Medtronic Talks podcast channel to receive that directly, or you can find everything at devicetalks.com. But uh, we'll give you lots of podcasts next week, so I know you'll enjoy it. And uh, we'll be back in, a couple, in two weeks with the Device Talks weekly podcast. 
Finally, we're bringing Device Talks Tuesdays back this Tuesday on March 22nd at 4 p.m. We'll be talking with the two leaders at Isometric about solving one of the medical device industry's biggest challenges, and that's miniaturization. This is going to be an extremely informative session, lots of great details and uh, photos of the work that they do at Isometric. So uh, please do go to devicetalks.com to register. It's happening live Tuesday at 4 p.m. You can register, you can watch it live, ask questions, or you can watch on demand and uh, ask questions then as well. And uh, you'll be able to uh, get the information you need. So happy to be bringing Device Talks Tuesdays back this Tuesday brought to you by Isometric. All right, I think that is enough housekeeping. Let's get this episode started. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? Doing well, man. Hey, it's getting over uh, freezing here in Minneapolis. I know. You had had 50 degree temps this week. I know. It's awesome. Woohoo. Yeah, we're seeing like, I'm seeing grass. I'm seeing grass on my lawn again. Good deal. Are the polar bears, have they back migrating toward uh, Canada again? They've they left you alone or do they still linger a little Except bit? Except for the ones at the Como Park Zoo in, in St. Paul. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're permanent they're, residents. They're, yeah. They're, they're, yeah. yeah. So do you think that it's so cold here? We just let polar bears roam around the city. <laughs> uh, Jim, I mean, you're I, not Alaska, man. Jim I mean, Hammer end of uh, metal design outsourcing here. Jim, that's kind of my feeling, right? That they just have, you know, walruses. He knows better. You know, he as a 13 winter veteran of Minnesota, <laughs> uh, now have Having uh, resettled uh, to the uh, sunnier climes of the Pacific Northwest, I uh, I would definitely say that that period in February where it's about 20 degrees below zero without oh. a wind chill, uh, I don't mm. miss that at all. I haven't had to shovel much snow out here, but boy, does it rain. So yeah, you enjoy that cold. You embrace that, Chris. It builds uh, character, Jim. It builds character. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. It sure does. You betcha. I, I, you betcha. <laughs> Jim, you said the sunnier climbs of Pacific Northwest. Now here I am, East Coast. You know, ignorance again. I'm a, I, I didn't never heard yeah, sunny and Pacific Northwest sort of uh, tied together. Um, your your sarcasm director is well tuned today. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, no, we uh, we, we take whatever. Ah, sun we you were can going get. for that. Yeah, you know, it's funny though. If you get out on the other side of the Cascade Mountains here, we've got desert, and there's uh, hundreds. I think there's something like 300 wow. days of uh, sun out on the other side. So anytime we want to, if we want to get snow, we go into the mountains. If we want to get sun, we go into the mountains. We go over the mountains. You got everything here. You got mountains. You got beaches. The ocean. It's it's fantastic. It's awesome. That's great. No, it's a great great area of of the uh, of the nation. So we're in, we we've got all three great areas covered here. So yeah, enough talking about the weather. Let's exactly enough about weather and wildlife. Let's talk. What we got with medtech. Let's talk about uh, about the medical device industry. And I'm sorry about my polar bear crack crits. I I know you don't have polar bears roaming the streets of Minnesota. Probably just moose. We just have. We just have wolves up north. You do have to worry about packs of wolves if you're hiking up. We up we just north. have coyotes <laughs> roaming the streets of Boston, but that's fine too. And turkeys, turkeys. I took a picture of turkey in Harvard Square the other day. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we are uh, talking with two gentlemen from Johnson and Johnson today uh, about. Uh, I I, I introed them at the top, uh, Larry Jones and Peter Schwalm, uh, and they they both were sort of introduced to me through you, Jim Hammerin, because you're working on a uh, really intriguing series of medical design and outsourcing. Tell us a bit about your, uh, your, your cloud series that you're working on. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me on to talk about it. 
So um, as you know, I live near Seattle, and this is pretty much the center of the universe for cloud computing. We've got the uh, two leading cloud computing companies, that's Amazon and Microsoft. They're both headquartered here. And the uh, the third spot is Google, which has been expanding in a big way up here in the Seattle area. And um, as you probably know, cloud technology really took off during the pandemic with so many people working from home. And especially in healthcare, there's a huge need to ramp up telemedicine and virtual visits with third-party software operating in the cloud. So I think that opened up a lot of people to accept cloud computing. And you know, at foundation, it's the idea that you're doing your work on computer servers owned and operated by Microsoft or Amazon or Google. And so these cloud computing companies are now working with household names like Johnson, Johnson, Phillips, but also startups. And they've all got some really exciting ideas about how to take advantage of cloud computing, which has exponentially increased how much data can be measured, recorded, transmitted, and analyzed. But because these companies, you know, Amazon, Microsoft, and Google have so many servers around the world, they can also offer advanced cloud computing services like artificial intelligence, machine learning. And that's where we really get into the kind of technologies that can allow companies to simulate, say, the performance of a device prototype um, before it's even Mm -hmm. built in the real world, or predict shortages or delays in their supply chain and find solutions before they become problems. So, you know, you could have sensors that warn when a piece of medical equipment will soon need repair or replacement. And that's a lot better to know about that before you start a procedure and have it inside somebody. Great stuff. So so uh, I, I did speak with someone else you would profile. I spoke with Alyssa Lynch of Google today, not for the podcast, just to kind of follow up again on, on your great coverage, but maybe we'll have her on, on the podcast uh, a little bit later. And uh, I know you, you've uh, you profiled Microsoft as well. Where is this series headed? Have you concluded, Jim, or do you still have some other interviews lined up? Well, we're still going. I mean, one of the I love about this series is uh, there, there's no hard stop as long as there's new advances in cloud technology and uh, honestly more people willing to take the time to uh, talk with me. Um, I'm going to keep rolling these kinds of things out. I mean, we just saw, uh, you mentioned Google, and we just saw from them uh, a preview of something called Conditions. So this is a new AI-powered feature of their Care Studio software. And the idea is this feature interprets and deciphers clinical notes, lab results, and other medical records um, with the goal of organizing also doctors can make faster, better informed treatment decisions for their patients. So every week we're hearing of new yeah. uh, a new product being rolled out that's either backed by AI or machine learning or just the ability to cloud and a to lot of it. store and transmit a, a ton of data. I've seen estimates that are putting the total amount of data generated by healthcare to something like 30 to 50% of all jet data generated every year. And you think about how much imaging we have, how many records are just floating out there. If we really can pull it together and analyze it in a safe and secure way, we can develop better ways of treating people. We can um, develop better devices and we can do it in a, in a way that is smarter and less invasive and ultimately safer. It, it's, it's neat that, I mean, of course, like device companies, they don't want to you know, reinvent the wheel. So we've got these like big companies like Microsoft, Amazon, you know, they've got the cloud computing, they've got these abilities, they can like bring them into back up, you know, med tech applications. I mean, anything that you found really surprising as you, as you did all this reporting? I mean, anything that especially stuck out to you? You know, uh, one of the other bright spots I was surprised about is how um, the cloud can maybe have an effect on employees. So I spoke with a company called Delta Development in Arizona, and they designed a portable rugged blood cooler, uh, really for medical or, or for military or you know, search and rescue applications. So they, devi- they designed this new device using design software that's based on the cloud. And their chief technology officer told me that their remote employees have more transparency and flexibility at work, and they're finding that they have more times for themselves. So really... I mean, with so much competition for talent right now, that's a huge selling. Oh, that's wild. They can use like, you know, like basically functions from the cloud, to, you know, you know, basically keep, keep track of your employees without 
making them feel like they're being kept track of basically. Well, and everybody can see kind of revisions that everybody else is doing. You can track progress. You can have really clear metrics for performance and know how you're doing against those metrics and how the team is doing. Um, so That's yeah. Awesome. And this, this technology is definitely here to say, you know, Johnson, Johnson medical devices, Tom, uh, who we talked with, and they just announced that they're changing their name to Johnson, Johnson MedTech mm-hmm. and explain the rebranding by highlighting how this digital technology can make healthcare um, in their words, smarter, less invasive and more personalized. Oh, you see, Jim, Stop! You're tipping your hand on our, big, on our new markers. It's newsmakers. all right. It's all right. Come on. <laughs> so, so Tom, cut it out. Tom, you know, you asked what's next. Um, we're going to explore more in the cloud. Um, we've got some reporting from Sean Hooley coming up on digital therapeutics. Uh, a good recent example yeah. is a video game developer called Deepwell that just launched, and they and other digital therapeutics developers think that medical conditions can be treated, managed, or even prevented with this kind of entertaining software. So, Sean's going to talk more with yeah. Deepwell and other digital therapeutics developers over the coming weeks. So make sure to look for that coverage online and in MDO Magazine. Yeah, we're doing some really cool stuff. Fantastic. It's very exciting. All right. Very cool stuff indeed. All right. Well, let us uh, let us move on to the uh, the new markers, newsmakers. I don't think uh, the last two times we've we've referenced the uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, I don't think that's uh, we have an article uh, connecting to that this week. But uh, we'll continue to put a, a link up to uh, donate to relief efforts on our, our podcast notes yeah. because that, uh, that never goes away. So. What's happening over there is heartbreaking, yep. and um, you know our 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 senior editor Daniel Kirsch will continue to update our story on you know what different medtech companies are doing around the invasion, and uh, and yeah, Tom, that, that's awesome that with our uh, device Fox episodes, we're listing out off ways that you know people can uh, you know give money to you know help help support the humanitarian effort, help provide relief for the the refugees. So we can we only can only hope this wraps up soon in a positive way. Quite quite literally. Ne- Nearly yeah. the least we can do. So, all right, Chris, let us uh, roll into number five on the new Marcus Newsmakers. You no, know, number five was, uh, gosh, I think I know this guy, like somebody named Jim Hammerand uh, wrote this giant feature story, um, like about a uh, pill-sized robot that sees and swims inside the stomach. This is actually the uh, the cover story of uh, Medical Design Outsourcing's March edition. Um, Jim, Jim, tell us more about it. You know, it's funny how this story started. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of outreach on LinkedIn. I love connecting with uh, medical device industry insiders on LinkedIn. And this was someone who had uh, seen some of our reporting and reached out to me and said, hey, I uh, swallow robots for uh, medicine. Want to talk? And so it's hard to ignore an invite like that. So we got to talking. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's got a prototype that he's developed. Uh, it costs about $30 <laughs> worth of off-the-shelf parts, but this is essentially a pill cam um, that you can swallow and we'll take a look inside your stomach. And the big difference is that it's got a propulsion system. So rather than just kind of passively going with the flow through your GI, like you might have uh, some uh, other pill cams, he, you can... Right, like Medtronic's got its pill cam. Yeah, the, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's one of the predicates that they're going to use when they're going for FDA approval, because this is something that you can steer wirelessly with a control have a look around, and then it's a single-use device. So you get the data wirelessly transmitted, have a look inside the stomach, and then you can avoid a lot of the time uh, and barriers to getting uh, an upper uh, endoscopy. If you're having stomach problems, you know, maybe your doctor wants to take you through a diet first or do all these things before you can actually have a physical look in there. Uh, you know, uh, Tori Smith is saying, hey, what if we have medicine where someone will uh, Amazon or will deliver a pill to your home, you swallow it, a robot look or a doctor looks remotely at it and uh, can help figure out what's going on. And the future could be, you know, surgical 
medical applications, snippers on there for biopsies, uh, maybe tattoo guns for marking tissue that you'd like to return to. Um, but what I love is, you know, this is a startup. He's got a really big idea and it's not your conventional CEO. We talked with our friend, Paul Grant. I said, hey, Paul, uh, what do you know about this guy? He says, well, you know, he's not a button down guy. Um, but when you see the team that he's building, they've got the Mayo Clinic, uh, the head of GI for their Florida uh, operations is on yeah. board, you know, and you see the cadaver tests they've done and they're posting video of these tests to YouTube. So it's really an unconventional CEO. He's got some good technology that could take a, a big chunk out of the, the global endoscopy market. It's really exciting to see where they go from here. Can they raise money and, and get this out here or does it uh, kind of peter out? I, you know, I like to, in the mm-hmm. story, how you, Jim, how you like charted, like the evolution of this type of technology too. I mean, you talked about Medtronic's pill camp, some you, you know, moved on. I mean, there's Ronnie Therapeutics that, you know, has a kind of like a robe robotic thing. It kind of unfolds inside the stomach, right? To do like drug delivery. But then, you know, this, this kind of feels like it's something that could be like a next, next step along the way that you have something you could like steer around inside the, in the body with a controller. Or, you know, I, I know the CEO of this company even told you it could be like a, like a smartphone someday. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. He says it's not really that scary technology, just squirts water out the back. And he cites um, Medtronic and Rani and uh, some other companies for um, kind of pioneering the way so he can kind of step in with his device, which he says uh, he and his team have uh, swallowed and put through their body about 20 times. So talk about a commitment to medicine. Yeah. I think we're all reminded about uh, Fantastic Voyage and, of course, Inner Space, those, those, episodes, those uh, movies where vehicles were shrunken to that size. So it's, uh, it's an interesting sort of uh, culmination of those, those sci-fi type yeah, of approaches. Really so interesting stuff for sure. And uh, I think Paul Grant gave you a shout out last week, Jim, for connecting uh, Tori to him as uh, part of the MedTech Innovator program. So uh, it will be interesting to see where it comes. And you talked to Tori. You recorded your interview with Tori Smith. And uh, we'll be running that uh, probably in a couple of weeks on the podcast. So uh, it's great to be able to, to hear directly from you and from him about this uh, really, really interesting tech. All right, Chris Newmarker, what is number four on the Newmarker's Newsmakers? Well, number four is the a story that Jim here was just mentioning a little bit, and yeah, and this this is another another story from uh from Jim. Jim, you're just cranking them out here, but uh, you know, this is uh you know Johnson Johnson Medical Devices is now Johnson and Johnson MedTech. But uh, I mean, tell us a little bit about this, Jim. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I love uh, the origins of names. I really do. And uh, so this kind of popped up on my radar. People were starting to call it Johnson Johnson MedTech. And they put just a short, tiny announcement, I think 100 words on their website explaining it. So I reached out to them for some more information. I figured, oh, this has got to be, uh, there's got to be more to it than this. And essentially, it's it's what I was talking about where they say, you know, essentially, we're, we're trying to innovate. We're trying to reimagine health. And in this world is increasingly digital. So they're not, it's not like they're getting out of the medical device business or anything, but they are really playing up the technology part of MedTech where medicine and technology are joining forces um, um, to, uh, to improve the quality of care and uh, everything that they're trying to do for patients. It really does seem to play into this. Uh, you know, I, I've heard this for years now, this idea that you know, the industry is moving away. They're not making devices anymore. Like, you know, like J&J isn't just you know, being a, uh, a maker of orthopedic devices, but they're you know, actually like a, uh, you know, you know, a company that's you know, providing you know, orthopedic surgery tech, really, you know, they're, they're really helping to manage, you know, these types of conditions. So, so yeah, it just sounds like a name that's kind of reflecting more of like where the industry is going. And it was just in January that Johnson Johnson announced they had a deal with Microsoft for cloud computing, specifically for uh, digital surgery. So it makes sense that this would uh, follow on the, on the heels of that. 
Yeah, that's that's just really neat. And we will have uh, executives from Depew Synthes at uh, Device Talks Boston talking about this uh, this organizational transformation, how they're moving from a medical device company to a med tech company. So uh, we'll cover it from every aspect, technology, product development, supply chain. So folks uh, attending Device Talks Boston on May 10th, 11th uh, can, uh, can enjoy that conversation. So good stuff. Well, Larry Jones, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Tom. I was uh, really looking forward to this. So I usually start these interviews finding out about a person's background, and I will do that in a moment. But uh, you are the first guest I've had who has identified, or at least previously identified as a Trekkie. I am one as well. I'm curious, do you, do you have a favorite series? And if so, which one and why? Oh, my God, all of them. Uh, the original, <laughs> nothing's better than the original. Um, ah, and, uh, so I have to confess, I'm not only a Trekkie, I have this to my wife's uh, demise. I have this uh, thing for 70s TV shows. <laughs> so I watch right now, I'm like in Kojak mode. I, I, I watch a lot of Beretta and Kojak, which are TV shows I grew up on and and Star Trek is certainly one of them. So I just have this affinity for uh, 70s uh, TV shows. That's great. I, I just uh, started watching Barney Miller. I found it on Roku. Barney Miller. Oh, oh my, my goodness. That's <laughs> best theme funny. music uh, on TV. It's it's fantastic. So that's not why people are here. I would love to uh, to go back to my initial question I asked folks. How, how did you find your way into the uh, medtech industry? Well, it all starts and ends with my tenure here in J&J. I'm a Jersey kid and um, was a college athlete and a closet geek. And <laughs> you know, J, J&J is a hallmark company here in New Jersey. So uh, as I was wrapping up my career in athletics, I uh, pursued opportunities and was fortunate to land uh, in, uh, in Johnson & Johnson. And I've uh, spent over 30 years in a company with global experiences across all the sectors, primarily in, in pharmaceuticals and, and med devices. So as I moved around, I had the opportunity uh, a number of years ago to come back to, uh, to MedTech and have been here uh, acting as the global CIO with a, an incredible business with some incredible opportunities. That's terrific. Yeah, you, you, you can't wear your geekdom on your sleeve. Like, you, couldn't, you couldn't back then like you can now. Now it seems to be... Seems to carry some cachet, but certainly I didn't do as good a job as hiding mine as you did of yours, I'm sure. But <laughs> uh, if you would talk to me about what you do as Johnson Johnson's Group CIO and Global Vice President of Medical Devices, what what are your duties and roles? And then I want to get into the news that we're kind of delving into your agreement with Microsoft. Yeah, in in my role, I first of all I'm supported by other CIOs across J and J sector CIOs as well as leaders that support functions like worldwide information security, a chief technology officer, which really focuses on some of our enterprise platforms and solutions, as well as our enterprise CIO, Jim Swanson, my boss. So it, it's a collection of leaders I'm very fortunate to, to work with. My job in support of Ashley McAvoy in the sector is, is really around establishing a portfolio of technologies that complement our great business strategy whether that's improving commercial success, supporting M&A activity, supporting regional growth strategies, and, and really being a vested partner, if you will, IT partner, and establishing those relationships with, with our business partners. And, and ultimately, what we're trying to do in support of uh, you know, some of the audacious things we're trying to do in industry. I think from my vantage point, I've 
been very fortunate to see the growth of technology and its support of healthcare. And so I hope to you know continue to support our business by doing that. And that's been my, my theme uh, since I've left life sciences. That's great. So talk to me, if you would, about the marriage of, of technology and, and mental devices. 25 years ago, when I was sort of choosing my career, the, the area I wanted to cover, I chose medical devices because I could understand, you know, you put a tube in a vessel and it keeps it open. You, you shock this and it does that. I didn't get into technology. Uh, they seem to be two separate things at the time, but clearly they are merging in, in ways that I'm trying to understand. How has the, the relationship with medtech and technology changed? over the last 10 years and maybe more over the last five years. I mean, it, it, it's obviously always been there, but it just, it seems like we can't talk about medtech anymore without wow. a, an IT component. I could probably take up most of your podcast with uh, <laughs> my own personal stories around tech and future tech. In fact, I was on a call this morning uh, with a much younger group of tech professionals confessing that 10 years ago, who would have thought of cryptocurrency or right. or NFTs or what the hell is 5G, <laughs> <laughs> let alone the Internet of Things? And 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 we talked about even our our homes, our lifestyles, and having connectivity in the car, which we we never thought was possible, let alone in healthcare. And so for me, seeing things like 5G, Internet of Things, certainly machine learning, artificial intelligence, and and there's there's more to change the whole perspective of healthcare is a, is a grand opportunity that I don't believe any one company is going to own from a real estate. I think it's mm-hmm. it's shared because the technology is going so fast and the sites of care are changing. So I'm very fortunate to be not only in a great company, but in a great space and trying to marry those things to take the inefficiencies out and create new opportunities. For me personally, my college roommate, died at the age of 40 from colon cancer. My, oh my, my dad had a short life. He died at 60 from cancer. My mom suffered from Alzheimer's. I'm an AFib patient. And I remember those stories because there were technology components that exist today I wish existed for them, whether it's how well they were going to be educated in their chronic disease or you know, giving them hope and being able to search for um, you know, advanced therapies without access to the internet or really understanding it, you, you you wouldn't have access to that said information. And so that's why I'm still here. Those things are really germane to, uh, you know, really trying to work with a, a great company, work in a great company and change uh, the trajectory of healthcare. It's a, it's a great cause. And I think technology is one of those things that will do that for healthcare. And on the the metal, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, we had a, we had an encyclopedia of my mom was kind of a uh, I don't know if she was a hypochondriac, but she knew a lot about diseases that people had no right of knowing about. She had an encyclopedia in our house and she would read about all these things. So that's how we learned about healthcare back then. That was her searching the internet. But with medical devices going forward, I mean, I think I think it was uh, a recent report by Deloitte Tooch and the MedTech Innovator said something like 73% of these new companies being founded or involved with the MedTech Innovator program had some sort of tech or connected health component. I mean, there is no separation now between medical devices and some sort of IT technology, correct? Some sort of technology connection, correct? Uh, Absolutely. I uh, was doing some market research recently on health cloud and why are major tech companies investing so much in cloud services for healthcare? Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, I, I think by 2025, total uh, revenue in the U.S. associated with cloud services for healthcare will surpass, I believe, it's $60 billion. Wow. 
Uh, and when we think about, you know, not just diagnostics and treatment, but how we get information literally to our smartphones, all of that is enabled by the cloud. And the advances in cloud today are not what they were five, 10 years ago. And, um, and we think that's, uh, that too will be the secret sauce to some of the things we're building uh, as it relates to medical devices. Let's talk about the arrangement with uh, with Microsoft. You you announced it recently that they're your preferred cloud provider for your digital surgery solutions. Is this relationship unusual for a medical device company to have a preferred cloud provider? Is or is this the way others are doing it, or will be doing it in the future? How unusual is this sort of relationship? I'm not sure the level of how unusual it is, but mm-hmm. what we found is that. Having two great companies, one a very large tech company, the other a very large medical device company, let alone one of the major sectors in J&J, combining efforts with things they're provisioning from like access to the cloud, a secure cloud, no less, Internet of Things, edge computing. Working together, we can create innovation, unprecedented innovation with not only our robotics, advanced instrumentation, artificial intelligence, data and analytics, the potential we believe or the things we want to bring forward with an ecosystem of solutions really will will change the way we go to market, the way we compete, and certainly have uh, some great innovations in support of all our franchises and platforms in service of the patients. Well, let's talk about a bit about what this means for your, your digital surgery offerings. Uh, specifically, what products are you talking about? You have various surgical, robotic surgical systems, digital surgical system in various stages. You've got Bellis out, Tava is still being worked on. Will Microsoft integrate with all of them? Is it used for all of your your surgical systems, your robotic surgical systems? Plan is to leverage the assets from Microsoft to mm-hmm. to create a, a comprehensive ecosystem for all our offerings, connectivity for all our solutions, insights, advanced service and repair capabilities, connection to our backend systems. I mean, when we look at the architecture that that we're building, the vision that we're trying to create for improved patient and surgeon experiences and efficiencies, as well as patient center applications. Yeah, it's a, it's an exciting, very, very exciting um, sort of venture that we're doing with them. We're just getting started. We have a lot that we want to do, and they've been very eager to partner with us and and create something very different in industry. And what do you see this relationship leading to in the future for for J and J for its products, but also for healthcare? And maybe not this for healthcare, not this relationship specifically. But what do you envision happening with this sort of uh, close cooperation between a company like J and J and Microsoft? Where can we sort of go from here? Yeah, I think you've heard Ashley and and other senior leaders in our med tech you know sector talk about pre interop and post operative sort of solutions, including, of course, robotics, digital solutions, and Mm -hmm. advances and data and insights and analytics. But we think about this relationship, we want to fuse ourselves to things like preoperative planning, patient risk stratification, embedding ourselves in in not just connecting in OR, but being involved in case management and scheduling. So there's so many components to not only the hospital or ambulatory surgery center, our services in partnership with Microsoft, is to really create this ecosystem that we believe will be secure and certainly be trusted by our customers, but will really map to the vision of what we're trying to do to make healthcare and surgery much more efficient and much more predicted and and, and cost-effective. And just going forward as a company, how do you see your development of medical devices sort of changing to incorporate 
cloud connectivity and, and, and other technologies. Did you see the, the approach to developing new devices being different? Do you see your, the composition of people working on devices being different? You're, I imagine you, you've already brought in significant tech teams to, to work on this. What does the future look like for J&J in, in that regard? Yeah, as, as Ashley's often talked about our transition from a med device to med tech uh, mm-hmm. company, we already have examples of, of great work that's being done. I, I believe she's mentioned some of our ventures around CSATs. It's a great digital capability that you know helps train our surgeons on their set procedures, enabling collaboration on surgical videos. We see even more advanced capabilities from surgical videos. We also have visible patients. And being able to render 3D images for pre-surgical planning from MRI or a CT scan, we plan to expose and exploit that as well as part of our entire ecosystem. And we have other applications like our Velis patient pathway solution. Those complemented with our core, which is our devices, of course, really help us achieve the vision of what we're trying to do from this very large ecosystem. And with Microsoft, we believe our partnership will add functionality to some of the things we're already doing. So it's not as if this is brand new for us. We Mm -hmm. have capabilities in market. We want to expound and expose and exploit those with additional tech to, uh, again, to make uh, surgery much, much more efficient. And then when we add all the portfolio of our robotic platforms, advanced imaging platforms, which, which you've already talked about, Again, it'll be exponentially impactful. And so it's it's really about the collection and integration of all the capabilities we currently have uh, and, and the ones we're bringing forward, all enabled by a trusted cloud connected set of solutions that create an experience that uh, we hope is unparalleled in, in our industry. That's great. Just f- final question. I mean, going back to, to Star Trek, <laughs> it's, it, it, it's a cool time to be uh, in the med tech industry. I mean, we're, we're obviously, we're, we're seeing things like tricorders and the beds that the monitor, the monitoring beds that they use. I mean, it, do you feel kind of uh, caught up in, uh, in the excitement of where we're headed? Oh my, oh my God. I'm, uh, my wife can tell you, I am such <laughs> a geek. Uh, I, I, uh, <laughs> there are things, uh, as you mentioned, you just never imagined were, were possible. And, and, as I mentioned before, what I'm finding is fewer constraints, right? When, when yeah. you think about no more Wi-Fi pretty soon, like <laughs> you're going to have 5 and 6G in no time. You know, with cloud, you have unlimited storage. I, I remember two terabytes, and this is how <laughs> old I am, would, <laughs> would take up some serious real estate, right? <laughs> and now you, you can have that, you know, in the palm of your hand, which is extraordinary. Being able to download high definition surgical video in a blink. Yeah. I mean, that's fascinating. And certainly using things like machine learning or artificial intelligence to do simulations and mixed reality and spatial reality, no less, you know, to bring forward views of the anatomy you never thought were possible, personalized views of anatomy, never mind digital twins and, and things of such. It's it's extraordinary. And I and I'm excited to be in J&J because when I look at analogs of other companies that are doing extraordinary things, and I know healthcare is always a laggard, you know, I, I think we're on to something incredibly special. That's fantastic. Excellent. Well, Larry, thank you uh, for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This has been from one trekkie to another. This has been great. <laughs>
All right, and we're back. Chris Newmarker, what is number three on the Newmarker's Newsmaker? Oh, number three. Uh, you know, we're, we're speaking today on St. Patrick's Day, and uh, this news just uh, came out from Medtronic. Um, story from uh, from our associate editor, Sean Hooley, about how uh, Medtronic is uh, making some leadership changes. They've got new presidents for the diabetes business, for their surgical robotic unit, for their cardiac rhythm management operating unit. And, uh, you know, we've been covering about how Medtronic's been doing like a major you know, restructuring and, you know, in, in recent years. And uh, this just, I mean, and what, what's your thoughts on this, Tom? It's just kind of like we're, you know, this is kind of like, you know, it sounds like Medtronic just trying to like hone in more on, you know, organize, organizing as executive leadership as it, you know, prepares to move forward with, you know, their, their top priorities. Well, it certainly was somewhat, some of it was expected. I think some of it was a surprise. I mean, they, were, they had to be looking for a new leader in the diabetes business when uh, Sean Salmon took over the cardiovascular business after Mike Coyle left to lead iRhythm. And Sean Salmon was running two of those businesses at the same time. So it was a matter of time, I think, before they find someone to take over for diabetes. And diabetes, of course, has had some 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 challenges that they're trying to overcome and they're trying to move forward. So it makes sense to get someone who's focused uh, exclusively on diabetes. And Sean Samuel now will focus his attention exclusively on the large cardiovascular portfolio. Uh, I was surprised with Mike Marinara moving over to robotics. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. And they did. It looks like before they made that move, they found a replacement for him to leave uh, cardiac rhythm management. So when they have uh, Dr. Quayley Thompson, appointed as president of cardiac rhythm management. So it sounds like they're, I don't know, I guess if, if a company reorgs like that, that significantly, there may be some settling before the the final team is in place. But uh, I don't know if you folks had any, uh, any thoughts on, on the moves, but uh, they, they, they did surprise me. Some of them did, some of them didn't, but, but I didn't expect that big of an announcement with three, with three big positions like that. Yeah. I mean, they definitely have been trying to, I mean, they're, they're, the two big things they've been saying are going to grow Medtronic into the future are surgical robotics and renal denervation. And, you know, they've, they've admittedly been trying to like, you know, refocus their efforts there. And then, you know, diabetes is a, yeah, as you said, is a business that, you know, needs, needs a boost. I mean, um, you know, they, their Medtronic leadership has been saying that they, you know, they, they haven't, you know, they've been saying that they're invested in diabetes. They want to do stuff in the diabetes space, but um, yeah, getting a new leader over there makes, uh, makes sense as well. So just so a lot of changes, not, not too much of a surprise, but but still, just seeing like more more changes in who's leading what over at this company that's that's the world world's largest medical device business. And our January magazine had uh, CFO Karen Parkill on the cover talking about the challenge of reorganizing the company over the past couple of years and yep. giving some insight into how they retain talent, how they deploy talent across the organization. So I think I'm going to sit down with that article for a second read over in light of this uh, recent news and uh, perhaps uh, glean some more insight. Good, good advice for everybody. And back in December, of course, they had brought in Mira Sani. She is now the president of Pelvic Health at Medtronic. That was a position that was open. So so once again, looks like they're they're filling out the, the team, uh, finding the uh, the leaders to sort of bring these uh, these businesses forward. So I suspect these will be the last changes we'll see for a while. But I guess uh, I guess time will tell. Time will tell. All right, Chris Newmarker, what is number two on the Newmarker's Newsmakers? Well, number two on the list, we've got a uh, Dexcom winning a uh, CE mark for the uh, next generation G7 continuous glucose monitor. Um, it's going to be uh, starting a European launch within weeks. 
So this, this has been highly anticipated. I mean, the G7 is, uh, you know, uh, you know, a, a degree smaller than the uh, than the G6. You know, it's sensor, so that that's really uh, good news for people who use these systems. You know, and uh, you know, Dexcom's been, you know, really, you know, talking about the high accuracy, um, you know, and and the hypoglycemic range across a range of ages and you know, BMIs that they're, they're achieving with, uh, with the G7. So, um, yeah, it's, it's getting launched in Europe. Uh, next up, we're uh, awaiting clearance in the United States. So uh, we'll uh, hopefully see that in, in coming months. And um, I, I just got to say to our associate editor, Sean Hooley has just been covering the heck out of the diabetes uh, tech space. There's just so many um, just, you know, really, uh, really neat um, new products coming out this year. I mean, I, 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 Tom, I remember we used to be saying like this year is going to be the year of surgical robotics, but in some ways it almost feels like this is like the year, you know, for diabetes tech as well. And, uh, there's a, there's a really good, uh, roundup that, you know, Sean now has up on drug delivery businesses with all of his reporting. It's called, uh, you know, diabetes tech is off to a hot start in 2022. And I encourage everyone to check that out as well. Yeah, Chris, what I love about that story is how it forecasts all the milestones that were expected to come in 2022 and already have. And I believe we were, as we we're getting that story ready for the magazine, we we're editing on the page to update with this uh, latest uh, latest milestone for them. So it's so exciting to see what's going to happen just in the next coming weeks and months. Yeah, we can we can barely stay timely, like laying out a print magazine with this kind of stuff. I mean, there's just so much news coming out. And I think it underlines how, how challenging the, the diabetes space is becoming in a good way because it means there's more, more tools available for people with diabetes, but uh, many Medtronic has a, a lot of competition in this space. Of course, Insulet had the Omnipod 5 approved earlier this year, and we'll be talking with Stacey Petrovic, yeah. the CEO of Insulet at Device Talks Boston. So uh, lots of great news in the space, which is great for the companies, but even better for uh, for the folks who are struggling with this disease or have kids or family members who have, yeah, to, exactly. have to manage their uh, their 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 lives. So uh, it's a really tough chronic disease. So, yeah. All right, Chris, what's number one on the new markers, newsmakers? Well, and number one on the list, uh, we've got uh, GE Healthcare and AliveCore uh, partnering uh, to, uh, you know, to use uh, AliveCore tech to, uh, you know, to, you know, deliver more uh, ECGs outside the hospital. So uh, this is just like a really hot, space right now. I mean, we've got, you know, iRhythm, we've got Barty Diagnostics, we've got AliveCore, and it's all about, you know, like it used to be if you were, you know, worried you had a heart arrhythmia, they'd send you home with this bulky holder monitor, you know, with, with you know, wires taped to you. And, uh, you know, all these companies have, you know, technologies that are, you know, they can, you know, do monitoring for a much longer period of time that are, you know, much more user, user friendly. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll like detect a lot more heart arrhythmias and, the public and, you know, and, and, you know, along with that, like reduce strokes. So, uh, you know, or help prevent strokes. So, um, you know, just, uh, just some really neat news, for, you know, with a uh, G healthcare now stepping in and, you know, working with a life core on, on this kind of tech. And yet another advancement made possible by cloud computing. There you go. You yeah. anticipated my, uh, my redirection. <laughs> no, Jim Hammerin. Yes, absolutely. No, sorry to steal it, Tom. No, you, <laughs> I like your instincts, man. We'll have you back. You are natural. I'm on a week-by-week basis, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Peter Shulam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm excited to hear about your work at J&J. We actually already started talking a bit before uh, I pushed record. But before we get into that, uh, you have a really fascinating career, and and I'd love to understand how you found your way into healthcare. Starting with uh, your move into medicine, you have an MD and a PhD from, uh, believe, well, well, MD from, from Baylor, but take us back to the beginning. How did you focus on healthcare as a career? Tom, I, you know, I kind of stumbled upon it in the sense that when I was in college, upstate New York, I uh, thought about getting a PhD in 
organic chemistry. And then I heard about this MD PhD program supported by the, uh, it was a medical scientist training program supported by the NIH. And I looked into it and I ended up being a member of the MD PhD program at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. So I spent three years in medical school, five years in graduate school, getting a PhD in immunology, studying B cell signaling. And, you know, it sounded like a good thing at the time. And then, you know, we fast forward to where you are now and realize, wow, I, did, I didn't get done with my education until I was almost 30. Which I know it seems like a long time back then, but time flies. So where was your intention to be a practicing physician? Is that where you were headed? So interestingly, most of the individuals back then who did the MD-PhD program, because back then that was early on in genetic research, most mm -hmm. of them pediatrics and internal medicine and ended up doing uh, wet bench research and genetics. And, you know, my first rotation outside of the lab. So I, you know, I had done a year and a half of medical school, went into graduate school for five years, came out and my first rotation was general surgery at Ben Taub Hospital. And I just totally fell in love with surgery. And that changed the course of my uh, future. Fascinating. And you went to, uh, to practice at, at Yale University School of Medicine. You were chair of the Department of Urology. And how long did you do surgery for? Because then I want to move into your work with innovation. But how, how long did sure. you do? So what I did, I think a couple of things that really changed my trajectory was I first decided to do urology because I was at Baylor and there was a, uh, we had a very good urology program that was run by Dr. Scardino, found it very uh, interesting. And ended up going to Johns Hopkins for my residency. So I did two years of general surgery and four years of urology at Johns Hopkins from 1992 to 1998. And if you recall back then, 1992 was the, really the beginning of laparoscopic surgery. And I ended up luckily working with a surgeon who was involved with the first laparoscopic nephrectomy in the world. And he was very innovative, Dr. Luke Cavusi, and was my mentor. And through his work and my interest, I became very much interested in new technologies. And that, you know, I worked with him for a year in the lab, did some work with some robotic companies, computer motion, and working with other companies. We started looking and thinking about telemedicine and teleproctoring. That became my passion. Fascinating. So we're out of time. At, uh, it seems like all of the, the things you just mentioned that were, were certainly someday things back then are uh, coming to, into play. So this is uh, a very exciting time for you, I must imagine. Yeah, no, extremely exciting. You know, I graduated from my program there in 1998, went back to Baylor for a year, and then I ended up out at UCLA in 2000. And again, I arrived there interested in minimally invasive technologies and was fortunate enough to work with the Department of Surgery, the Department of Urology and others. and set up a robotic program there and was very active surgically, but we also had a very good program that we set up that looked at new technologies and brought together industry, engineering, and physicians to really solve unmet clinical needs. And then from there in 2012, I became the inaugural chair of uh, urology at Yale. And uh, similarly, I became very good friends with Mark Saltzman, who was the inaugural chair of biomedical engineering at Yale. And we started, we started a kind of an incubator called CBIT at Yale, looking at um, medical devices and um, meeting and solutions for unmet clinical needs. So mm -hmm. I was fortunate to be at two institutions with great mentors, uh, great partners and collaborators and learning a lot about medical innovation. And then finally, before we get into your time at J&J, &J, you were faculty director at the Size Center for Innovative Thinking at, at Yale University. That's a fairly new, new center. What steered you uh, into that track? Yeah, that was a, a cool opportunity. I think um, I was in the medical school, Yale University, the undergraduate campus, realized we were doing some good work on innovation. And the provost office, at that time, uh, the provost was Ben Pollock. Uh, I was asked if 
they were putting together a new center. Josai, one of the co-founders of Alibaba, had funded a center for innovative thinking. And this was really not just in meta, I mean, it was innovative thinking uh, holistically. I was fortunate enough to be asked to be the faculty director. So wasn't sure I was the most qualified, but I was uh, very thankful to have the opportunity. And so it gave me an opportunity to think really outside of medicine and how can we innovate. And I worked with uh, several great people there and um, learned quite a bit. Great. And you joined J&J, where you're global head of preclinical and clinical and medical affairs uh, in August 2020. How did that opportunity come together and why did you decide to make the jump to join a big company? Yeah. So I never expected this to happen. That's mm-hmm. number one. And what had happened, it was about two and a half years ago, three years ago, I was asked to, by the CEO at the time of Verb Surgical, to spend one day out at their facility looking at their robotic device. And it was a great day. And I was impressed with the people I met. And it was uh, kind of cool to sit down and talk to these engineers and really think about the problems that we're addressing and how what the solutions would be. And I left that day. And it turned out that four or five months later, his boss, Peter Shen, said he was looking for a surgeon to help working as a surgeon, or kind of a quasi-CMO or be a, a leadership director in Johnson & Johnson. And he mentioned my name and J&J called and we began our discussions. And I never thought I would be here, but six months later, I accepted the job. And uh, my last day at Yale was July 31st, 2020. Took the weekend off and I started here August 3rd. <laughs> no, no rest for the, uh, for the, for the busy. So talk to me about your, I do again, want to get into Microsoft and the work with the cloud and what you're doing there, but I'd like to understand what your role is there at J&J. And there's, there's obviously a lot of exciting programs going on in the robotic space, a lot of different platforms that uh, the company is pursuing. Are you touching them all? Are you sort of overseeing uh, or at least involved with all the programs? What are your responsibilities? Sure. So my primary responsibility, my title here is Global Head of Preclinical, Clinical, and Medical Affairs for Medical Device. Mm -hmm. And I'm fortunate enough to have a seat on the leadership team with Ashley. So great experience. About a year ago, Ashley had asked that I work with Larry and we head up an office of digital innovation. So it's given me an opportunity to work across the sector and trying to build this out with Larry. And that's a great opportunity. I think one of the things I want to mention and go back to is you asked, why did I leave? And I was at a juncture in my life trying to figure out what I was going to do next. I was starting to feel too comfortable, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed what I did, but you know, I just, I just felt this. I said, you know what? You know, I got up every morning and I, wasn't, I didn't have that fire in my belly. And I, lo- I realized I wanted to you know, be uncomfortable again. And so mm-hmm. this opportunity to come here created that. And I tell everyone I was 100% successful because I'm very uncomfortable. Right now. <laughs> My drive when I was at UCLA and when I was at Yale, working with all the surgeons that I did and the engineers, our goal was really try to, we wanted to improve the standard of uh, surgical care. And I spent 20 years trying to do that in academia. You can have impact, but it's not a great impact. And it's, you know, it's very, um, I guess it's, it's not that it's, you can only have so much of a, you can have a local regional effect, you can have a national effect, but it's very tough to have that global impact. And working with people at UCLA, we had a we had come up with an equation. We said surgical outcome is a product of skill and judgment. And really it's a product because what I mean by that, it's it if so, if you have great skill and not very good judgment, the outcome is not very good, and vice versa. And the question is, how can you do how can you impact that? How could you actually improve surgical skill and augment surgical or physician judgment to improve outcome? And 
we realized that devices could do that. And, you know, we were thinking about this in early 2000, the robotics were just coming on the market. But, you know, we're, I think we're at a different point in time right now that we're really at a critical juncture because now we're in this era of digital, which brings me to where we are today with J&J and why I'm here, is that I think we really can start to have impact on surgical performance or procedure outcome and improve outcomes and decrease variability. Mm-hmm. And that's the most exciting you know, that's why I'm here. And J&J provides a great opportunity because it has a global footprint. Well, I'm glad you circled back to the why, the why you decided to join J&J. Anyone who listens to this podcast would probably wonder why I didn't ask that question, because I really do enjoy exploring those moments in our lives when we say, I want to do this. Do I want to do this or I want to do that? Understand why we chose this or that. So thanks for explaining that. Talk about where are we with robotic surgery? Because I mean, as you noted, it's been talked about for a couple of decades now. It's sort of was a novelty, I think, in the early part of this, this century. And then obviously intuitive going and, and Stryker acquired Mako and it seemed to be more and more acceptance. But over the last two or three years, between the number of dollars that are going into surgical robotics companies and the programs like the one at J&J and, and other companies, we've long passed the tipping point where this is happening. And I'm wondering sort of what got us to where we are. Is it just the realization of the potential of the technology or was it just the demand, as you noted, was so great for this sort of services that robotic surgery can provide that just sort of pulled things along with with its gravity of of sort of necessity? You know, I guess I'm old enough to say I, I kind of experienced the evolution of laparoscopy, so the early 90s, and then the evolution of robotic surgery, which started around 2000. And in both cases, it's interesting. The adoption was really driven by patient demand. If you look at laparoscopy, if I recall correctly, there was really no prospective randomized study that demonstrated laparoscopic cholecystectomy, removal of the gallbladder, was any better than open, yet it was being driven by patient demand and adoption. And eventually there was that study, and we know where we are with laparoscopy today. And the robotic, same happened with robotics. You know, Intuitive came on the market in 2000. They started in cardiac. They eventually went to urology. And I have to be honest, I was a naysayer at first because I was doing laparoscopic prostate removal. Mm-hmm. I felt as though I didn't need the robot. And um, you know that was a very provincial view in retrospect because robotics is an enabling technology. It allows for someone to more easily complete a minimally invasive procedure. So laparoscopy is basically operating, I essentially say sticks with a little scissors or grasper at the end of them through trocars in the abdomen, which is great because it's less invasive for the patient. So they have shorter recovery, less morbidity, less pain. Robotics enable that. It's an enabling technology because with the robot now, you have increased degrees of freedom, which means that the end effector can move more like a hand because mm-hmm. when you operate laparoscopically, it's like operating with a cast on your wrist. So you, you lose two degrees of freedom. You also have scaling, so it allows you to make to do very large movements, but then they're miniaturized within the patient. You have uh, magnification, and all these are enabling technologies. And so I think the robot was an enabling technology, but patient demand was also very important because patients wanted what seemed to be minimally invasive and the newer technology. And that's really what's driven, I think, it, over the last two decades. But at the same time, we've started to really explore how we can utilize this to perform surgery that benefits the patients. Now, the question is, where are we and what's the potential? I think robotic surgery, and I know Intuitive is working this on this as well, up until this point, it's been an enabling technology. But the question is, now with this digital revolution, how can we impart 
intelligence to the system so that as I, let's go back to what I talked about, how do we improve surgical outcome, decrease surgeon variability? How can the robotic device now improve skill? And it does to a certain extent because they're scaling, but even more so and improve judgment. So now, because even with the robot or laparoscopy, there's surgeon variability. If you think about when you're in, you were in college and you took that math test, everyone's distribution followed that Gaussian distribution of standard deviation of one. And so the majority of performance occurs around the mean 67%, even though everyone thinks they're in the top 10% or their surgeons in the top 10%, mm-hmm. the reality is they're not. And so how can we narrow that variability, that distribution and shift that curve to the right? And that's what excites me the most about robotic surgery, because as we start to build that intelligence into the system, we can now narrow that variability and really almost democratize surgical outcome. I mean, and the way the analogy that I use is look at, look at the airline industry. You have pilots and he or she is sitting in a cockpit, but surrounded by technology that is augmenting their judgment and enhancing their skill. Mm-hmm. So when you get on that plane, you have zero concern that that plane is going to take off or land. Yet we don't have that kind of confidence in surgical outcome today. And we know that's highly variable. Everyone's always seeking centers of excellence. And the question is, how do we remove that barrier and extend surgical outcome to the majority of the world? Because right now we have nodes or pockets of excellence, and that's not serving the world the best we can. Thank you for sharing the the airline analogy, because I was going to ask, what does that look like? I I hear that often, democratizing surgery and and helping everyone sort of pulling off the the skill sets, but I I don't know what that looks like. Is it a surgical system that has sort of buzzers and guardrails for physicians, uh, or is it more they're planning a navigational course with sort of a GPS for surgery? Might be both. I'm sure it's more. What does it look like? It could be all that. I mean, one of the things I, you know, I think about is, you know, if you can design robots so that, you know, they're taking in the, the, the inside, you know, you're, it's, so it's kind of like navigation, you're doing a surgical procedure. And if there were warning signs, so that if you were getting close to a structure that you don't want to damage, but you can't see it yet, you either can actually see it because you can see through the tissue or because of some type of preoperative planning and registration with preoperative imaging, the system knows where that organ or that structure is and it informs you so that you're provided some level of navigation. That would be one way. Some of the simpler things that we're doing, you know, at J&J is, you know, when we have a vessel sealing device and we apply energy and seal a vessel, a buzzer sound is based on time. And the question is, can we generate data from the generator, the device itself, or the instrument tip that now can provide some level of understanding of the quality of the seal such that if it's high enough, we know that when we cut, it will decrease bleeding. And so this is what we're talking about, digital information, taking that digital revolution and applying it to surgery so that now what we can do is improve outcome, decrease surgeon variability. Fascinating. So looking forward, how different is surgery going to be for a surgeon with all all of this in place? Is it going to be a lot more prep time, reviewing, inputting information? Is it going to be faster, maybe less time because uh, you're getting so much help? What do you what do you envision this looking like for surgeons in a decade or so? Yeah. So number one, you know, at some point, you know, people always ask, is it going to be autonomous? And, you know, I think that's a possibility, but we're a long way from that. I mean, you know, we don't have autonomous 
planes, right? We still have pilots in the cockpit. Yeah. So I think surgeons are, we're always going to need the human element. And surgery, unlike flying, you know, you can, you can argue, but the variabilities that we foresee within surgery are far greater than you have within, I would say, flying a plane. You can, they're kind of, you have a higher likelihood of knowing the set variables that you're going to interact with. Whereas when you're, when you're operating, every patient truly is unique. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think we're always going to need the surgeon, but I think I'm hoping that what we will do is make surgery, not that it'll be easier, but that the outcomes will be more predictable and the cognitive load of or requirements of the surgeon decreases a bit so that they're focusing truly on what's at hand and not having to have experience dictate one's ability and like everything in the world, if we do it correctly, I mean, I guess an analogy for me is I think about what Amazon's done to the retail world. Mm-hmm. It's completely, you know, it's it's rocked its world because now, you know, you don't have to think about which store you're going to go to. You can do it online. You don't have to put your credit card in anymore. You don't mm-hmm. have to put which address you want. It's almost too easy to shop. And so removing removing those, the, those layers of friction make it a, a much more pleasurable and easier experience. And I think we want to do the same thing in surgery. We want to do the same thing for healthcare. We, we want to remove the friction of providing healthcare for clinicians and for receiving healthcare for patients. And that can look at anything that you want it to be. And I think it's just, you know, that's why it's an exciting time. And it's great to be at a company like J&J because that is our mission. What role you're, you're playing in sort of getting us to that, that future? I mean, you're, Medical device companies principally have been working on on the hardware, uh, creating new devices that hold open blood vessels or help perform surgeries uh, or procedures. Now, and this sort of blends into the, the the Microsoft discussion, you're talking about building out a whole data intelligence component to it. How different are companies like J&J going to be going forward and understanding why they bring someone like you on board, because it's going to be just as much understanding the, the data side and the tech side as, as it is the devices that, that do the cutting and, and that move in a physical space. Yeah. Let me take a step back. So where J&J was and where we're going. And okay. you know, we say we're evolving from a med device company to a med tech company. And what does that mean? And I would say like in the past, we were developing mechanical and electromechanical devices, and now we're creating digital devices. And what does that mean? So you know, everyone asks, what's the word digital mean? And it simply means that now we're developing devices that have sensors on them or are connected to a generator. So we're generating data now, we're aggregating that data, and then we're processing that data to gain insights or predictive analytics. So that to me, that's what digital means. So for example, that exam- the, the, the example I gave you of the vessel sealer, we had a vessel sealer before. You know, it's a three, four years ago. Now, all of a sudden, within the last year or so, we've taken the data from the, the generator, the instrument itself, from surgical videos, and now developed an algorithm that helps to predict the quality of the vessel seal so that when the surgeon cuts the vessel, they're far more confident that it will not bleed and it decreases surgical bleeding. Great indication. That's, that's digital technology, and that's what we want to do. And so, therefore, it's not, and to me, it's not just going to be, you know, we're, we're a great healthcare company, but we need to partner with a great technology company to really manifest the full potential of this vision. And that's where the relationship with Microsoft comes in. So you have J&J providing that broad, deep understanding of healthcare with a global footprint. 
medical affairs, people like myself and others, we have you know hundreds of uh, surgeons and physicians, part of J&J, helping to define the unmet need. Because the key is, is that we don't want this to be a, a technological push. Like we don't want to create something and say, okay, what can we use this for? We want it to be a clinical pull. So we want to identify the unmet need and then solve for that with technology. So this is where J&J has, that's our strength. And, you know, we also have, you look at what we have with respect to our assets. We have next generation robots, best in class instrumentation. We have advanced imaging and working on digital solutions. So now we partner with a Microsoft. What do they bring to the table? Well, they have the technical expertise of the hyperscale cloud. So they have the cloud, they have Azure AI, edge computing, internet of thing connectivity, and uh, cognitive computing. So that strategic collaboration or partnership now will help accelerate medical innovation and hopefully drive improved healthcare. So what will the, speaking specifically about the, the arrangement with Microsoft, what will that allow you to do? Just go over the, the, the details of that deal a bit. So they bring to the table their technical expertise, because what we need to do in order to be successful is we have to create a secure and compliant digital ecosystem, mm-hmm. which is based on the cloud. And so this is what Microsoft is bringing, in addition to their AI, ML capability, their edge computing and Internet of Things. So providing the foundational connectivity of our medical devices so that we can, the data that's being generated can be aggregated and then processed. And just final question, where is, are you able to speak to where J&J is with your your programs, your your Atava has been uh, highly anticipated. Of course, you have the acquisition of Oris. Uh, what is any sense of what the rollout looks like in the next couple of years? It's hard to give you the timelines on all that. So, you know, as you can imagine, it's an extremely complex program. We're trying to develop technologies that will really enhance what has already been offered on the market. So we're in that process right now. But I think the vision as we're thinking of it right now is that we understand where we are. The question is, where are we going to be five to 10 years from now? And we're Mm -hmm. trying to predict that future and determine what's needed. And as you can imagine, everyone is doing the same. And it's just very hard to know where we're going to be. But we're excited because I think the technology, what we have available to us today with respect to digitization, and if you, you know, so many areas of our lives have been impacted by that. You know, you think about how connected our home is, as I mentioned, retail, even the car industry. And, you know, for instance, at Tesla, we haven't really explored or provided that level of connectivity for physicians and for patients in healthcare. I think we were just beginning that journey. And so I think the next five to 10 years is going to be extremely exciting. Definitely. I agree completely. Well, this has been an excellent conversation, Peter. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Tom, thank you very much. All right, time to wrap up this episode of the Device Talks Weekly podcast. Jim Hammerend, you are uh, out there on social media land. Where can folks find you? Clearly, uh, when they do find you and pitch a good idea, it, uh, it leads to results. That's right. I told a, another um, founder, shoot your shot. She uh, responded to comments <laughs> about the story and said, how can I get in touch with them? Do you? And I said, just we're easy to get in touch with. We want to hear from the community, uh, companies large and small. So I'm on LinkedIn at Jim Hammerand. Are you on Twitter at all? I am, but it's a terrible place. Would hate to subject uh, uh, my readers to that. <laughs> you know, I really like this uh, cover story, so I did post it there. But I kind of don't want to subject uh, the med tech industry to my rantings about our local city council and the photography of birds in my garden. <laughs> Chris Newmarker, where uh, where can folks find you out there on social media land? 
I, I am also on LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker. I mean, my Twitter handle is Newmarker. So, so it's always, always happy to, you know, hear about new things going on and chat with people. I'm going to be trying to look up Jim Hammerin's account. All right. And I am on uh, on Twitter at MedTechTom. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Tom, S-A-L-E-M-I. Uh, please do share. Please do connect with us on those social media channels. As we said, we'd love to be part of those conversations. And we also love to have folks on the podcast or in our publications uh, who uh, who reach us that way. So, And at our conferences, uh, we will have uh, folks at Device Talks Boston, May 10th and 11th. You can still register. And when you do so, use the code DTW25 to save 25%. DTW. DTW for Device Talks Weekly. You'll save 25% off our uh, off our registration rate. And uh, you could also uh, register for Device Talks Minnesota, which is happening on June 6th and 7th. We are still in our early bird rate there. So uh, don't wait too long and use that same code DTW to, tape t- to save 25% off of that. Uh, please do uh, subscribe to this podcast on any major podcast player. Please do like, sh- follow, subscribe. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. I, I almost forgot that. Yes, like, follow, and or subscribe. And uh, you will never miss a future episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast or our new Striker Talks Podcast, which we rolled out this week. If you haven't checked it out yet, you can find it on devicetalks.com as well as all of our other podcasts featuring Medtronic and Intuitive and, of course, Device Talks Weekly Podcast. You can also find Striker Talks, Striker Talks on striker.com. And again, subscribe to uh, the Device Talks Weekly Podcast Network and you'll get Striker Talks, Intuitive Talks, Device Talks Weekly, and you can subscribe to Medtronic Talks on their own podcast channel. Just go to Medtronic Talks again on any major podcast player. And also uh, share this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast so others can find it and, and others can listen. We'd be very grateful and connect with us on those social media channels when you do. Chris, you look like you wanted to say something. Sorry. Okay. I'm good. <laughs> It's funny. I always, I always assumed Chris saying like, subscribe, uh, follow was like a, a pre-recorded clip that you had a button you would just press and it would air. That's right. No, nope, nope. <laughs> no. That's, that's custom, <laughs> custom from yeah. a, a sound effect from Chris every time. Okay, that's good to know. It's, it's right, right next to my, <laughs> right next to my farting noise button. Yes, yeah. Like Tom Salemi in the morning zoo crew. You got all those. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Waka waka. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> all right, folks. Let's bring this episode to a close. Just a reminder. Next week, take a little time off. So uh, instead of receiving a Device Talks Weekly, please look for your next episode of the Intuitive Talks podcast. Plus, we'll have a Medtronic Talks podcast going out on Wednesday. So if you haven't subscribed to Medtronic Talks, please do so. Of course, you can find both on devicetalks.com. Have a good week, everyone. Take care, everybody. 